The following episode contains major plot points of movies. A spoiler warning is advised. This episode also contains topics that may be disturbing for some viewers, so viewer discretion is also advised. Alright, hello and welcome to the Abby Normal Podcast. I am your host, Aaliyah, and with me today is my sister, Emily Kincaid. Hello. <laughs> so, as we mentioned in the last week's episode, Colin is out of town. He is in Maryland for the week. And when I post this episode, actually, it'll be the day before he comes back. But I still wanted to have Emily on the show, because other than Dad, you're like the second guest host we've had on the show <laughs> so far. Yay. So I was really excited, and I was, for the first episode, we're going to be talking about psychological thrillers. Yes. So you and I had this conversation, like, a week or so ago, but when I invited my sister on the show, I asked her, like, what's your favorite, like, subgenre of horror? And Emily said she loved a good psychological thriller, so I was like, okay, we'll do a psychological thriller discussion, which I'm very excited about, because... Psychological thriller is like, although it doesn't have like horror in the name, it is its own like type of genre yes. of itself. Still very scary. Yes, very much so. So I figure what we'll do is we'll talk about psychological thrillers, what they are, and then we'll go over our favorite ones. Mm-hmm. And then we'll go over the tropes and stuff about psychological thrillers. Okay. But I did want to talk a little bit because you and I growing up, we never really watched a whole lot of horror movies. Oh no, I couldn't. But you want to know what's funny, and I think I have mentioned this on the podcast, I'm not sure, because we talk a lot on here, and I just keep, I tend to forget, like, certain snippets of information. So, growing up, our mom used to work at the video rental store across the street. Yeah, yeah. It's now an auto zone, but it used to be a video rental store. Video King. We used to go there, like, once a week, I think, Mm -hmm. especially, like, before the weekend. Dad would take us over, and he would have us pick out, like, two movies. Mm -hmm. And it was either usually, like, a Disney movie and then, like, another, like, random movie. Mm -hmm. But Mom used to have, like, the Goosebumps (gasps) tapes at the video store. Those were Yeah. I used to love those. So we used to, like, kind of rotate those, and those are actually Mm -hmm. on Netflix. I don't know if you've seen them. I did not. So... Netflix has the entire Goosebumps show. Not just the movie specials, but they had, like, other shows, too. They're very campy. I love Because they're, like, 80s, 90s. I love them. Actually, (laughs) in one of them, I think it's Say Cheese and Die episode. Mm -hmm. Is it, like, a young, young Ryan Gosling (gasps) in it? Is it really? Yes. Oh, yeah. And you can tell it was shot in Canada, too, because some of them say, like, certain words. A boot. Or, sorry. 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 Not to make fun of our Canadian listeners. So that that was kind of like my first earliest memory of like horror. Mm-hmm. And then like over time growing up, I did kind of venture out into other stuff. Like my friends and I would watch Halloween or Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm-hmm. And then over time, I definitely like in the age of remakes, mm-hmm. when those started to come out, we watched a lot of those too. Mm-hmm. What were you going to say? You had a look on your face. <sighs> what? <laughs> I left a movie off the list. Uh Uh-oh. Or, well, a series franchise was Nightmare on Elm Street. Okay. That's okay. I can't believe I forgot about that one. It's a good one, though. I mean, because it plays off of your, like, fears and stuff. Oh, yeah. And, like, dreams. And it is, I mean, it is more of, like, a slasher film. Because people die very gruesomely. Yeah. 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 But 
I think there's like a lot of like psychological components in that too. Yeah. So because I mean, it, it's based off of your dreams, and dreams are essentially your brain processing. Yeah, it's your brain processing stuff. things that are going on around you. At least yeah. from what I learned when I was reading, I got books over there about dreams and crystals and chakras and stuff. As Brian would say, the woo-woo stuff. <laughs> So, how should we start this conversation? I know we just talked about this, too, before we hopped on here. Should we talk about the the meaning or the definition of psychological thrillers? Yeah, Okay. Sure. What do you have written down? So, I use the Google. Okay, me too. <laughs> so, it, they might be the same. Right. So, but I kind of paraphrased it in, in my your, own words. Right. Yeah. So, um, I said, a genre of movies that often incorporate psychological instability with a thrill of thrilling or horrifying twist um usually using like the plot the cast in some sort of way to like show some sort of like instability right throughout the movie yeah i almost had the same thing i have a subgenre of thriller that explores the psychology of its characters who are often unstable yes but yeah most of my research is from google a lot of my when i go through my movies a lot of the stuff i pulled is from imdb so did i okay good (laughs) so we're on the same page so did i love love an imdb right i i don't know if you heard on the podcast but i prefer imdb over um rotten tomatoes yeah i hate rotten tomatoes is not we're not a yeah we're not a rotten tomato friendly podcast unfortunately for most people i know a lot of people like to base their like general observation through rotten tomatoes but rotten tomatoes doesn't always have like they don't have as in-depth as imdb right because like if you click on a movie on imdb it'll like it has like the plot the cast trivia fun facts right quotes behind the scenes stuff and so it's like Right. They have more. I feel like they have more. Yeah, they offer a lot more in terms of, like, researching stuff than Rotten Tomatoes, whereas yeah. Rotten Tomatoes is just, like... Was it good or was it bad? Right. Here's what our opinion is. And then <laughs> it's it, like, okay. And then it's, like, the tomato meter versus the audience's reviews, oh. which tend to be a lot higher than the tomato meter. Mm. I think one of the movies I think that got a good review that was a really shit movie was the Child's Play remake. Okay. That came out a couple years ago. I haven't seen that one. It's not good. Oh. Here's the thing. It doesn't fully stay true to the original Child's Play movie, which is fine because a lot of people don't like watching a remake that's shot for shot, frame for frame of the original. At that point, what's right? What's the point? <laughs> right. But it's essentially the plot is like company that makes smart technology offers a like a smart technological doll that like mm-hmm. can monitor and control the other smart devices in your home and it becomes like haywired and like an ai like, like a, yeah doomsday type situation sort of only like with a killer doll you know yeah, like no, i feel that. like that would be okay as like a standalone concept mm-hmm. and but like when you try to remake it it, it the only thing that's similar are the characters names mm-hmm. and the fact that andy is a only child of a single parent um who gets this doll and you know it's just it's just an odd take of it yeah plus mark hamill does the voice of chucky oh which is odd i mean don't get me wrong mark hamill does a good job playing a bad guy in some movies but it's just so odd to hear his voice come out of a a doll yeah (laughs) 
Yeah, essentially. <laughs> so I'm not worried about that. <laughs> I feel like we're getting off topic, but so, we do that a lot out here. So it's not okay. really, it's not abnormal of us to do. So I'm going to have you go first with your list. I'll have you go down the list of what your favorite psychological thriller is, and then you can tell me along the way what you liked about them, I guess. Okay. So okay. in no particular order, like... I have them listed 1 through 10, but it's not like, 1 is my favorite, 2 is my second favorite. Like, right. it's just kind of, these are like the top 10 that I could think of. Right. Um, is Get Out, the 2017 movie by Jordan Peele. Mm-hmm. Uh, Us, the 2019 movie by Jordan Peele. The Babadook, Jennifer Kent, it came out in 2014. Uh, it Follows, directed by David R. Mitchell in 2015. Midsommar or Midsummer however you pronounce it, by Ari Aster in 2019, Hereditary by Ari Aster in 2018, uh, The Shining, directed by Stanley Kubrick in 1980, uh, It, and I put both the directed by Tommy Lee Wallace in 1990 and Andres Muschietti in 2017. Um, I did Seven, directed by David Fincher in 1995, and Identity, uh, directed by James Mangold in 2003. Cool. And you want to know what's funny? I have a Jordan Peele Funko pop up here. Do you really? Yeah. Let me show you. I love that. And he's sitting on top of the Candyman Funko up there too, which oh. with the bees on his face. That's cool. Okay, so I haven't seen Candyman yet. Okay. I need to though. It is good. I've heard it's really I good. I loved it. I know it's not like a Jordan Peele directed movie, but it was really good. Yeah. You, you got your movies, so what is it about each movie that is a psychological thriller that you like about it? Okay. Well, Get Out, that movie, mm-hmm. I don't even know how to put it into words. Um, it is very odd. I, I just yeah. watched it a couple months ago for the first time. It's very good. It is very, very good. Yeah. I was so surprised that Jordan Peele was, you know, as a comedy actor... Yeah. He made something so different, yeah, and terrifying, yeah. And it was it was just so cool to watch, yeah. And he even said, I think it was in one of the interviews before it came out, or like around the time of like the premiere of Get Out, right? Um, he said like that's part of him being a comedian. They had a huge part of writing scary movies because he's right. like, you know, to be a comedian, you have to like get into not even like get into the minds of people but you have to like in a way get into the minds of people to know what's funny right so like you know that's how you have to base your jokes off of what people are going to find funny so he said i just took that and i flipped it to like getting into the minds of people of like what do people find scary right and he also well when it came out was 2017 so um i know in was it 2016, 2015 or 2016, there was the um, Trayvon Martin case. Oh, yeah. And there was a lot of stuff that's kind of, well, not, it didn't kick off. The Black Lives Matter yeah. movement. Yeah. Um, but it, you know, was like, a, there was a big part in it, and he kind of, that's what was like the basis of, part of, also part of the basis of Get Out. Racism and social status and all that kind of stuff. So I was like, that. Is, I thought it was really good. Yeah. And, I mean, like, well, you saw it. Yeah. The parents, the mom. Oh, my God. The freaking tea thing. Yeah. I, oh. I mean, I gotta say about the parents, too. I mean, I mean, one of the things that 
One of the terms that I have learned from the Black Lives Matter movement is white saviorism. Oh, yes. And the parents... Very much so. The parents are extremely that type of person. Where yes. they are white people who are advocately pro-civil rights to yeah. the point where it's almost, like, cringy. Yeah. Like, like the dad saying, like, I voted for Obama, and it's like, okay... Good for oh, you. <laughs> good for you. Like, all most of us did in the time. Yeah. Like, that's fine. But, like, to make that almost like your entire personality is cringy to watch. Yeah. Well, thought, and then they took it to, like, a whole other extreme. Right. Where, yeah, it was very much, like you said, like, white saviorism. Because they were like, oh, uh, it was very much like a, we love people of color so much. Right. That, like we want to like become them right kind of thing and i was like oh that was yeah. like crazy and I, to me i think the thing too was the the fact that like the entire move like the the i think the psychology behind that movie was the fact that like these are white people who are getting older yeah. but don't want to die yeah and they're trying to find ways to preserve themselves in yeah. terms of like removing their brain and putting it into a more able body yeah. person yeah. and they believe that black people are more able-bodied yeah. than white people it's interesting to look at yeah. because it's not something that gets heavily mentioned in other movies yeah. and i think that way that jordan peele makes his movies is very interesting there's a documentary on shutter called black noir yeah. that talks about how like black actors directors and producers are getting more involved in horror movies yeah. and they're changing the narrative because yeah. for the most part we've been seeing like people of color in horror movies yeah. that don't either like last long or in some ways are not they're like a stereotype right of their race right so it, it it's yeah it's very cool to see yeah. So is there anything you want to mention before we move on to the other ones? or Because um, those are good movies. Get yeah. out in Us. Yeah. Us was... Wow. A roller coaster ride? Yeah, it was. It unlocked a whole lot of new fears. <laughs> right? <laughs> about... I mean, I've heard of... Obviously, everyone's heard of, like, doppelgangers oh, yeah. and things like that. But I was just like, huh. What if there was, like, an underground society of, like... Like, doppelgangers yeah. almost yeah and i was like huh, that's kind of it's kind of something scary to think about <laughs> right and i mean i remember speaking of doppelgangers and this is just a weird story to kind of venture off to but remember when we were in like grade school and i had that friend who a lot of people said looked like me because mm -hmm. we both had dark hair freckles mm -hmm. we were pale and we had like dark brown eyes and you know that was kind of like almost like a stigma throughout my entire grade school years mm -hmm. until we eventually like grew up and then ventured apart and it was like but it's kind of interesting to think about it like that and then i haven't really watched us yet i have it on dvd but oh, i haven't watched so it yet good. yeah but it's it's an interest it looks like an interesting movie yeah but what what else about it is like a psychological thriller that you thought was interesting and i'm not really too worried about spoilers because I already kind of know about the plot twist at the yeah. end yeah. from watching YouTube videos and stuff about it. So, yeah. So, well, you know, the main character, Lupita, she, in the beginning of the movie, her and her family are at the beach. Mm -hmm. And she sees this guy in, like, tattered clothing. And she kind of goes missing for a little bit. Her parents are trying to find her. And then they find her. 
and she's kind of like different like traumatized they think something happened to her she you know they take her to like counseling and speech therapy because she wasn't talking for a while oh yeah at the end it turns out that she is the doppelganger oh and what happened was the guy who was in the tattered clothing was one of the doppelgangers that escaped and they switched so the doppelganger who is living in the underground society but it was like an underground world right um switched places and that's how you find out so all of the other all of the others i guess are the doppelgangers none of them talk okay but hers does oh okay it's kind of like like gritty yeah like gritty in um like kind of like very like broken english type uh, like speaking it's very like simplified right which would be like if someone as a child like stopped right and never learned like never progressed their speech yeah which makes sense too yeah since she was taken from a young age yes. and the doppelganger would go on to not only because the doppelganger wanted they that's the point they want what their doppel- their other has yeah right they don't want to be underground. Right. It makes sense, too, because at least this way, the, the doppelganger gets to grow up, in, not only improve her speech, but is able to speak. Yeah. And to go on and have a life, essentially. Yeah. While the other person, the original version, is yeah. stuck. Yeah. And is suppressed for, like, years. Yeah. So, yeah. that is interesting. It is very interesting. And it's... Uh, I don't know. I just... Again, I haven't had a loss for words. They're just... It's such a good movie. And when you listen to, like, any of the interviews that Jordan Peele's... Any of, like, the YouTube videos that, like, break it down. Mm -hmm. There's so many little things in the movie that if you rewatch it after you've watched it once, that you're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Right. Like, the part with the doppelganger, who's actually the original. Right. She... I was like, huh, that's kind of, like, strange that she speaks, but, like, everyone else doesn't speak. They just kind of, right. like, growl and, like, screech and things like that. And I was like, that's kind of interesting. And then I, at the end, I was like, that makes a lot more right. sense. That is, an, that is really cool. I got Now I gotta watch it, because we have that one DVD player over there, but I've, somewhere along the way, I, I lost the remote. Mm-hmm. So now I gotta do everything, like, in front of the little box and try to, like, set it up and everything, mm-hmm. so... It's cool, though. I gotta watch it. Yeah. It very much touches on, again, social class. It touches on, you know, like, equality, you know, between race. Because the main family is a black family. And then they have, like, their next-door neighbors and their best friends, who's a white family. Isn't Elizabeth Moss? Yes. Okay. Because I remember her in the trailers. Yes. Right. And... You know, it's very, like, comparative. Like, the white family, like, they have this big boat. They have a beach house. And they have all this stuff, you know, material-wise. Very successful. Doing this very much that. But very unhappy. Like, the husband and wife fight all the time. The kids are very detached. You know, very much in their phones on social media. (laughs) They're kind of almost, like, a little bit sociopathic. Oh, God. (laughs) It's, like, kind of very much like a, oh, yeah, this is white people in america um, right 
and the dad in the black family he has he's always wearing like a, a sweatshirt and it's uh, brown university so okay. it's like the dad in the white family went to like harvard or harvard or some ivy league school right. and then the dad went to brown which was an ivy league school quote unquote for people of color right and you know the dad buys the dad in the black family buys a boat because he wants a boat they went out on their friend's boat but because of his status he was able he couldn't buy like a big big boat he bought like a smaller boat right and they don't have a beach house but he wants these things so it's like it's very much along with absolute like scariness i guess i don't know how else to say it of you know having like another version of you that's like very like primitive because they were they never were above ground they were never part of civilization they were like born and bred underground like that part's scary but it's also like very like reflective of like society and stuff like that right it's and um what was it that hands across america oh yeah that's featured in it in like the commercials is part of that as well because at the end have you well you haven't haven't watched it (laughs) at the end they all do like the doppelgangers that kill their originals they do like the hands across america it's like really like it's i don't know yeah it is very like um because hands across america was supposed to be like a a charity for people who are homeless or struggling you know uh families who are struggling financially like trying to get people off the streets and and better their lives and stuff and it ended up being like a huge scam oh yeah whoever ran the charity hardly any of the money actually went to people in need or for resources for people it was like really messed up right it was really good it's again one of those things that like makes you think a lot right that is interesting. I'm now. I really gotta watch that it's, movie. It's very good. If you if you ever get a chance to watch it, it's very good. Okay. The Babadook. So the Babadook and It Follows for me are very similar. Yeah. Whereas, like the thing that is well, I, and I guess Get Out and Us too. The thing that is supposed to be the quote unquote monster or the scary thing in the movie right is very much like a symbol of something else yeah now i haven't seen the babadook in its entirety i've seen it's so bits scary. And, i've seen bits and pieces but i haven't seen it in its entirety but i have seen it follows and that was an odd movie it's very scary <laughs> i mean both of them to me very scary because when i watched it i mean i had i had kind of done a little bit of research before i watched it so i had this concept in mind that okay this girl is being followed by some sort of entity that she had, like, it's a, it's almost like a curse that she had contracted through having sex with this guy. Yes. And it's supposed to symbolize sexually transmitted diseases or right. se- sexually transmitted infections. It's right. Supposedly. Right. So say. I thought that was interesting because now she's got to decide, <clears throat> do I just continue running in hopes of evading this thing? Do I let it kill me and end the cycle? Or do I save myself and pass pass it on to to another person? Yeah. That is a lot to, like, think about. Yeah. Especially, like, when Kyle and I had talked about it, probably not on the show, I don't think, but when we talked about it, I asked him, like, what would you do in that instance if if something... It it really makes you think. Right. Because it's like, if something like that were chasing you and was threatening to do, like, bodily harm or even kill you... Mm -hmm. And your only options were those three things. It's like, what would you do? Because mm-hmm. you could run, but eventually you'll have to, like, stop yeah. at some point. Yeah, you can't. You can't, like, run forever. Like, yeah. not to sound like 
Yeah, no. like, uh, so sort of be like, you can't hide forever. Like, you right. know, like a very, like a, like a very cheesy, like, horror movie. Right. Like, or, you can't run forever kind of scenario, but at the same time, it's like, you could try to keep running, eventually it could catch up to you, but unless you keep running and, like, avoiding it, yeah. it's still going to continue to, like, follow you. Yeah. What are you supposed to, like, not sleep ever? Right. Or not, like, ever enjoy life? Like, right. that's not And I realistic. remember the opening scene in that movie, there was a girl who was actively running away from something, and she decides to go to the beach mm-hmm. and sit in the sand and she, she makes one phone call to her father saying, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sorry for everything that I've ever done as, like, a terrible kid. And, you know, I love you very much. And then, like, the next, like, split-second scene, she's, like, ma- her body's all mangled up on the beach. And mm-hmm. it's, like, daylight. And it's, like, it's another instance where we see somebody go that route. Mm-hmm. And we see what happens. So, mm-hmm. by her dying, it goes back to the last person that she had contracted it from, right? Yes. So then, yeah. now he's got a pass it on to another person which he does so yes. like she very much took the route of i'm going to break the cycle right and she let it get her he's very much like well i don't i'm self-preservation i right. don't want it and i'm i i don't want to keep running from it and i don't want it to let it i don't want to let it kill me so right. i'm just going to keep passing it to someone else yeah and then i think where we see our main character she tries to run away, mm-hmm. and she tries to even, at one point, try to destroy the creature mm-hmm. that she... Because she thinks it's like, well, if I can kill it, yeah. then that's it. Yeah. But it doesn't really work out the way that yeah. it's supposed to. Mm-hmm. And then by the end of the movie, we see them... like We think, like, in typical horror movie fashion, yes. we think everything is fine. We think everything has, like, passed. Nope, it's still following her yeah. and her new, now boyfriend. And yeah. Now we don't know what's going to be. I know, and then she's going to accidentally. Like, it's yeah. easy to go, like, oh, she's going to accidentally now transfer it to him. And I'm like, oh, that's so scary. I know. Oh or, or if that's her new boyfriend, is it following her or is it following him now? Right. Right? So, it's because like again, it's one of those things that, like, I watched it in four days afterwards. I was thinking about that movie, and I'd look at Brian, and I'd be like... So do you think in the end it was following her or was it following the new boyfriend? Because, like, if they had sex and she didn't know, right. she could have transferred it to him because she thought it's gone. Right. Like, and it so could have been following him, too, yeah. now. Yeah. Also, Brian, by the way, is Emily's husband. Oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Like, because, I mean, I do mention you sometimes on the podcast. Like, I'll say, like, oh, yeah, my sister likes true crime and we talked about this and stuff and, like, all these other movies. But, like... I never. I don't think I've ever actually mentioned your name on the show, and I don't know if I've ever mentioned Brian. So oh, my okay. sister is married. Brian is her husband. So yes. if we mention Brian, that is her husband. Yes. <laughs> so I liked it. Follows. I thought it was a good concept. And then I, you know, all last month in June, mm-hmm. I've been hearing a lot of like recommendations for horror movies that had LGBTQIA plus representation. And a lot of people mentioned the Babadook. Yes. And I'm. Intrigued to understand how the connection is there. So when I first watched it, <laughs> okay, I took it as like the Babadook, like the actual like creature symbolized grief, right? Or like guilt, okay? Because if you, if for people who haven't watched it, or if you have watched it but it's been a while, the main character is a single mom. Mm-hmm. Her husband died in a car accident. And I think it was 
She was pregnant with her son. Okay. And the father died. And I don't remember if she was in the car or if he was trying to get to her. I don't know. I can't remember right. the point. But she was grieving the loss of her husband or her boyfriend. I'm not sure if they were married. But her partner, who right. was the father of her child. She also then had a lot of uh, repressed um, resentment towards her son. Okay. Like, it very much was like a, I wish he was here and not you type oh, of thing. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. And her son, I'm not sure if he, um, you know, like has ADHD, undiagnosed ADHD or if he was on the spectrum, but he had like a lot of behavioral issues. Yeah. So that just kind of added to it. Mm-hmm. So like... She was very much grieving the loss of her partner. She had this son that she was taking care of by herself. She, you know, was very resentful that she had to, you know, be the one to take care of him and that he was here and not her partner. And at least that's how I took it. Yeah. And the more I think about it, too, doesn't that always kind of seem to be the way in some cases when it comes to, like, movies? Whether it's horror or drama or something, there's always, like, a single parent who lost their spouse or partner through death. And then they have, like, a surviving child that in some ways they kind of seem to, like, resent in some way. Yeah. And the only other, like, example I can follow with that is... Remember the movie Hide and Seek with Robert De Niro and Dakota Fanning? Yes. Yeah, that that's another odd one. I didn't have it on my list, but it's just, I thought it was another I good example. I completely forgot about that movie. Right. I, it was also on the list of psychological thrillers on IMDb, and I'm like, man, I haven't seen that movie in a long time, yeah. but I remember parts of it. Yeah, I didn't even tell you what, like, the plot twist was. I was... Oh, I can tell you. Oh. Okay. Do you want me to tell you? Yeah, because okay. I can't even remember. It's been okay. such a long time since I last seen it. So, Robert De Niro plays a single father who lost his wife some time ago when his daughter, who played by Dakota Fanning, was very small, mm-hmm. and... They move to a new house, new location. Her daughter is going to, or his daughter is going to um, a child psychologist because she's like, she's having these very like morbid thoughts for like a young girl. She's, you know, fascinated with death. She, you know. Same. (laughs) Yeah. Like she's fascinated with death. She wants to know like what happens to people when they die. She, you know, is asking about her mom and how she died and all this stuff. And then somewhere along the way, she starts to. Uh, mentioned this person named Charlie who's like, people seem to think it's like her imaginary friend because Robert De Niro can't see him. So spoiler alert, her father, Robert De Niro is Charlie and it turns out he has a almost like a a multiple personality or a split personality where one minute he's her father and another instance or another point in time in the day, he becomes Charlie. Okay. So that's why he doesn't remember. It's at nighttime, isn't it? Yeah. So it's almost like someone who's, like, sundowning a little right. bit. Right. A little bit. A little bit. So that that's, like, the big twist is her father is Charlie under another personality. Did Charlie kill the mom? I think he did. It, it, I don't know if we heard if that picked up, but Emily asked if Charlie killed the mom and i don't remember if that was the case i but charlie does turn out to be very not nice right he is not a nice guy and i mean i think he also encourages the daughter to become more and more morbid with her dark thoughts and i think even eventually encourages her to commit suicide oh god so if you do go watch it proceed with caution because there are a lot of trigger warnings in terms of like loss and suicide and mental health it's just it's just a lot 
Mm-hmm. But for a movie that came out in its time, I think around like 2004, it was very dark. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, that was an, that's another interesting instance where like a single parent resents their child's existence yeah. in some way. Yeah. So I think that's a good one. But, yeah, so you got the Babadook. I also have Midsommar, or Midsummer and Hereditary. Okay. Now, I haven't... You know what's funny? If you not watch Hereditary. I have not watched Hereditary. Oh, yeah? No, here's the, <laughs> here's the funny thing about your list. So, the, you have, like, two movies that in some way are either... You've seen one, but not the right. other. But they're either directed or fall under the same theme. One of them I've watched, the other one I haven't. So, I have watched Midsommar, and I've already expressed enough... I know you don't like it. I thought it was. I thought it was pretty good. I know, but as I always say on this show, everybody has their opinions, and I respect them regardless of how I feel about the movie. If you like it, that is totally fine. A lot of people like Midsummer. A lot of people like myself don't, which is fine. Yeah. Um, I have not seen Hereditary, but I've heard mixed reviews. So a lot of people like Midsummer. A lot of people like it, and a lot of people don't. So I don't know. How I feel yet. Unfortunately, okay. considering you did not like Midsummer, okay, you might not like Hereditary. Oh shit! Okay, they're they're very similar. Obviously, they're directed by the same person, Ari Aster. Right. But um, yeah, I'm not a fan of Ari Aster. Yes, they are very similar in like style, okay. kind of like how Jordan Peele's. A lot of Jordan Peele's movies yeah. are very similar in style. Right, his are very similar. Those ones, and I know we'll get to this later, of, like, what tropes or, like, things that we like, like, things that I like when it comes to psychological thrillers. One of my, one of my bullet points that I like that they have are, like, the what did I just watch factor. These two are very much it. Right. Are very much, like, by the end of Hereditary, which... It came out in 2018, and Midsummer came out in 2019, so we watched Hereditary first. Right. That one, by the end of it, I was like, what happened? Right. Like, I watched it, and I, like, I didn't miss any of it. Right. But I was just very much like, what happened? Now, have you listened to the podcast Mostly Horror Movie Night? No, it, I'm not. Okay. So they're under the Morbid Network. Oh, okay. you and I, you and I listen to Morbid True I, Crime podcasts. I so. love Morbid. So mostly horror movie night is a pot is a horror movie podcast uh, hosted by these two guys, Steve and Sean. I follow Sean on TikTok and Instagram. He's a really good artist and he's really funny. They have both seen Midsummer and Hereditary, and they actually preferred Hereditary over Midsummer. Yes. So I will have to watch it just because. I'm a horror movie podcast host. I have to watch as many horror movies as I can to get a good review on it, but I, I will watch it and give an honest review eventually. I, I agree. I personally like Hereditary more than I like Midsummer. I like them both, but Hereditary is just like a little bit higher up for yeah. me than Midsummer. Just because it's very much like witchy and supernatural right. and like Did you ever see the movie The Witch? I've never seen it, okay. but I've heard of it. It, it. it does fall under the A24 umbrella. It's not directed by Ari Aster, but mm-hmm. it kind of has that same vibe where it's sort of considered a psychological thriller because mm-hmm. it kind of falls under, like, the witch hysteria. Mm-hmm. Now, there's no witch trials, but there's this hysteria amongst the farmstead where it's like something happened to the two younger children, and mm-hmm. nobody knows what happened. 
So the mom is thinking that the oldest daughter, who's played by... Anya Taylor-Joy? I think so. I think it might have been her. But, um... while you talk. Okay. So her, her mother suspects her of, you know, conspiring in witchcraft and had cursed the family because of all the responsibilities they were putting on her and all these, like... Major life. Okay, it's on your Taylor Joy. On your Taylor Joy. Okay. I love so her. her family was, you know, conspiring to either like send her away or marry her off or something. And eventually, she does join a coven. Mm-hmm. And it is it's an odd movie, mm-hmm. but it kind of falls under that weird like psychological thriller umbrella. And you and I had talked before we got on the podcast. I explained my my issues with Midsummer. Yeah. I will say, though, and I do, I tend to try to outweigh my negative reviews with positive ones. I will say that the imagery and the visual effects were interesting. When they are on, was it mushrooms or they, whatever they, it was? They took some sort of hallucinated, I might have been mushrooms, but the part where they're like sitting in the grass yes. and she looks down and she sees the grass growing out of her hand and I'm like. It was I was like, oh. wow, that's so crazy. Right. <laughs> so and crazy then. Stuff. And then there was, like, a scene where after she sees that, she gets up and she goes into the outhouse and something happens in there that kind of freaks her out. And then she walks back out and it's nighttime. And it's like, whoa. Yeah. Like, that's interesting. So I, I, I will give it credit that it does have a lot of good, like, psychological fucked up moments. Yeah. And in the imagery is visually pleasing, like, yes. aesthetically pleasing in, yeah. a, in a sense. I just think that personally like in terms of how the story kind of like laid out like we talked about it i feel like that whole like beginning part where florence pugh's character is talking to her friend and she's expressing her concerns about the relationship meanwhile her boyfriend is out with his friends and he's expressing his issues with the relationship yeah i feel like there's this weird sense of broken communication where nobody is like, they have the same mentality and ideas about where this relationship is going, but no one is taking the initiative to be the first one to say, yeah. I think we should break up. Yeah. And that that kind of probably would have, like, ruined the whole point of the plot. Because mm-hmm. then, like, then she wouldn't have gone to... She wouldn't have gone yeah. on this trip. Yeah. They all would have gone and died, and that boyfriend probably would have been the least of her problems at that point. Yeah. But I think... I hate him. <laughs> I hate him too, but I think when you look at it, the fact that it's supposed to be a movie about a cult, yeah. and we will talk about this actually in the next podcast episode because we'll be doing like a cult trivia, but when people who are in cults go out to recruit new members, they tend to look for a certain type of person, mm-hmm. and I think the way that Florence Pugh's character develops over time sort of makes her that perfect candidate to be recruited in a cult. Yeah. So that way, by the end of the movie, when it comes, like, full circle, she's completely cut she, off all ties. She is the May Queen. Why? <laughs> she <laughs> is the May Queen. She is the May Queen. She says, I'm going to burn him. Right? Uh, physically, like, like <laughs> actually burn him. Not just, like, boy bye. Right. But, like, I and will I, put you in a bear suit and I will burn you alive in a Right. Heart. And I think that in that whole scene of itself symbolizes a lot of things at the end it's her closure it's her closure for everything exactly because like like you and i had said before we got on the podcast aside from her boyfriend she i don't think she had any real like ties back to her home her family was gone she had very little to no friends her 
grades were probably not doing well because she was still in the process of grieving over her, yeah. the loss of her family. Yeah. And she was in this unhealthy relationship that yeah. was not going anywhere. Yeah. So by killing off the boyfriend, you've completely cut all of your ties with mm -hmm. your old life, which now you can start over mm -hmm. and be part of this community that has mm -hmm. accepted you. So I think that's an interesting way of, like, tying it off at the end, yeah. which I will give it credit. That is a pretty smart move. Yeah. But I think the whole, like, the beginning part really irked me. Yeah. But it does really touch on, like, the psychology of the characters. Yes. Like, that Christian, I think is his name. The boyfriend? Yeah. Yeah. One of the tropes we have written down, I think for both of our uh, lists... Um, when it comes to psychological thrillers, is the concept of lying and gaslighting and being Which. in toxic relationships and such. It's heavily influenced in Midsummer with the boyfriend because not only is he does he like continue to string Florence Pugh's character along in this. He gaslights his friends. Yeah. I, oh, the entire movie, I was just like, I hope someone just right kills and this then, guy and then the end happens and I'm like good. Right. <laughs> good. And then I think another thing too that I thought was really really odd was the fact that it was like okay so he's on this trip with his friends and his girlfriend. Her birthday was during this trip and yeah. he didn't even remember. No, and she didn't. he's a narcissist. Right. But meanwhile while they're there he starts noticing this, this girl that's part of the commune. Yeah. Because he's a narcissist. <laughs> and he's, he's noticing her so much more over his girlfriend yeah. That it's like everybody can see what's going on here. It's they like, do that on purpose, though. Yeah. It, again, the if you um, do like the deep dive of like the thing, mm -hmm. that's on purpose because he even said at one point, like because someone mentions like inbreeding. Oh like, yeah. He's like, well, we do have like people who join or come in from the outside mm -hmm. or like, you know, if people go out and you know. Right. So I honestly think he was to help breed yeah they used him to breed and they oh. knew he was a piece of shit man right and they're like here look at this pretty girl who seems to be interested in you and right. then the second they have sex spoiler alert for whoever hasn't seen it which that scene also was odd very unsettling unsettling <laughs> right i if i were eating during watching that movie i definitely would have stopped i would have been like i'm no longer and hungry and you know what's really odd? Most cult movies do this. Yeah, they will, it's very sex-based. Yeah, they will include but then sex. Again, cults will do that sometimes. Men who but, start cults are usually in it to get laid. <laughs> but there was another instance where I saw this in another movie, and oddly enough, it was a Children of the Corn movie. Not like the original, but one of the remakes or uh, sequels. Yeah. But there's a scene where the little preacher boy, who's like literally like two and a half feet tall, is reading he's like conducting this sermon and at the end of his speech he brings these two teenagers out boy and girl and they so they clam up on this slab yuck they, well, yeah. it's a weird fucking movie i don't know why i watched this but these two teenagers climb up on the slab and they start having sex and all the other kids in this congregation are gathered around watching them have sex and i'm like why is this happening right now and then watching midsummer in that scene i was like what is happening because not only yeah, are reading. Yeah, but it was like not only are these like group of naked women watching, they're, they're imitating the her sounds. Yes, and that was very unsettling. It was so that unsettling. Was part, that I'm was like, the part where I was like, I 
want to be anywhere but here right now. <laughs> there was another movie where we were like, what the fuck is happening? Yeah. Like, oh my god. Yeah. That creeped me out. <laughs> it was very unsettling. I was like, oh wow, this is, I don't know what is happening right now. Yeah, Colin's like, I know I want to fast forward. He's like, but I'm a f- I don't know if I should. I'm like, it's, yeah, it's, I know. It's really, yeah, that's it's something. Awesome. Yeah. That's, that's one of those movies that, like I said, I thought about for days afterwards. Not those parts necessarily, because I don't, if anything, I wanted to forget those parts. <laughs> right. Then, although I haven't seen Hereditary, I have seen clips from Hereditary, and I think one of the things that I'm most looking forward to watching the movie in its entirety is that scene with uh, Tony Collette at the dinner table. Oh, yeah. That is a chilling fucking scene. Oh, yeah. Because she gets, like, so angry yeah. at her kid. Well, and yeah, because he... Yeah, he... He messed up. Yeah. He's basically the reason why the sister passed away. Sorry for people who haven't seen it yet, but... But, I mean, it is a really interesting scene to watch. Because she goes from just, like, sitting there, and then all of a sudden she's like... That was me, like, slamming my hand on the table. But then she, like, goes into this full-blown rant about how angry she is at him for just being a little shithead. To, to, to trying to kind of console him in a way where it's like, I know you miss your sister and everything. She's like, but I can't stand to sit here and watch you just be this brooding teenager kind of shithead. And I'm like, wow. Yeah. It was interesting to watch. Yeah. 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 And, oh. and then wasn't there some sort of like issue in terms of like relationships between her character and her mom? And her mom. And- so her mom... When the movie starts, her mom just passed away, or her mom passes away shortly, like, after the movie starts. Okay. So, she's dealing with, like, the after effects of, like, that was a very toxic relationship. Right. And so, it's like, she, you know, I don't think her and her mother spoke for a long time, or something like that. I don't remember. It's been a little bit since I've last seen it, but... So she's, like, dealing with that, and her mom, like, she's like, well, my mom was crazy in this, that, and the third turns out her mom was a witch. Oh. Or she was very much, like, part of, like, some sort of, like, occult type. Yeah. So, like, like a witchy, like, almost like a coven. Okay. Um, type of thing. She'll, you know, she's dealing with the after effects of that. The movie kind of starts out making you think it's going to turn into, like, oh, like, the mom is haunting her. Oh. Um, type of thing, and then it takes a really hard left turn into something completely different after the daughter passes away. After, well, I'm sure you know she gets decapitated. Yeah. It's... I haven't seen that scene. It's shocking. Yeah. They don't show it. Right. Actually happen. But you get the impression that something... They show the next day, they show her head on the side of the road where she got decapitated. I'm like, and out of nowhere. Oh, like it, like it happens because he's driving. So the premise is he takes, he wants to go to a party with his friends, right? And she's like, no, you're supposed to be watching your sister. So he ends up taking the sister to the party because he wants to go, and he goes into another room and gets high with his friends. Okay, like they're smoking pot, they're drinking, whatever. She's at the party. She's eating snacks. Because, like, they have, like, the snack table. She eats something that has peanuts in it. Well, she's oh. allergic to peanuts. Oh, okay. She doesn't have her EpiPen with her. 
and so she's you know starts coughing and stuff someone goes and gets the brother and she's you know having trouble breathing her tongue starting to swell so he's freaking out because he's high and yeah. he's his sister is a little bit drunk and stuff like that now he's like shit i have to get her either home or to a hospital so he's trying to drive she's trying to breathe she's like grabbing at her neck and at her shirt because she can't breathe and so she rolls down the window and sticks her head out the window to try to get some air and he's like looking at her in the rear view mirror he's freaking out he doesn't notice that he's like almost driving off the road so he like quick does this she hits her head on like a big sign like one of those like thin metal signs yeah like a stop sign or something like that yeah yeah but like one of those big ones that's on like a highway oh okay yeah oh wow and she gets decapitated yeah and so he keeps driving and he's like in shock he drives home goes upstairs and goes into his room and lays in his bed and he's just laying there like while his sister's body's in the back seat in the back seat of his car so it gets to the next morning okay and tony collette finds out and then they like they show the house in the morning and then you hear her scream and it literally cuts to like the shot of the side of the road and her head's on the road and i'm like oh i was like is it gnarly it it's kind of gross okay i was like oh my god see because i was i'm thinking back to it follows in that opening scene because it's mm-hmm. like in one second you're seeing this girl sitting on the beach the headlights are on her and she's sitting there and she's like looking in the distance and then like the next second her body is just mangled on the beach and yeah. it's like a very sudden yeah, it's like jarring yeah it's like a sudden jump cut but it's like oh my god like yeah. how did we get to here yeah that kind of ex- moment that's exactly what happened right and then like i said it takes a hard left turn okay there's like a lot of like just it gets like really wild yeah and to the point like i said where after i watched it i was like what exactly did i just watch right what just happened right so okay. that one was crazy it okay. was very much like it messed with your mind a lot okay midsummer or midsummer i never know how it's pronounced people say midsummer or midsummer i know that midsummer is a good pronunciation for like actual certain cultures they do have mm-hmm. like a midsummer festival or mm-hmm. celebration which i think that's what this yeah. is supposed to be yeah because it's supposed to be like signify the harvest season approaching. Yes. Because, you know... Fertility. Right. Because when you're going... Hence why... Right. When you're going from winter to spring, all the flowers are in bloom, animals are populating and all that good stuff, and then that's why a lot of people... A lot of people, a lot of cultures celebrate Midsommar as, like, the celebration of new life kind of of instance. Yeah. So there's... I think that's interesting. So you've got The Shining and It, which are two Stephen King film adaptations. Yes. Have you seen Doctor Sleep? Yes, I have. That is a good one. That one was another good one. I almost included that one, but I yeah. was like, mm, that I, it was good. Yeah. I liked it. Uh-huh. But I was like, not really enough to put it on the list. Yeah. I mean, The Shining <clears throat> is a good one because almost in a sense, it is psychological. I mean, not just the fact that it's like, you know, the, the the way the hotel affects Jack Torrance's psyche, but the fact that Danny... But they both share a, a psychological gift called The Shining, mm-hmm. and 
that in some ways helps them kind of navigate what is going on with the hotel and mm-hmm. how they can avoid the dangers of it in mm-hmm. a sense, which I think is really cool. So I will say, however, I'm not a fan of Stanley Kubrick's method of directing, honestly. He's mm-hmm. a bit of a dick. I shouldn't even say a bit. He, he is yeah, a, no, he he ruined um, Shelley Duvall. Yeah. Big time. Yeah, he that was not a good movie. He he also was not and I will say this too. It was um, not a good not a good uh compar- directing on his part. Comparing to Doctor Sleep, because Stanley Kubrick directed The Shining and Mike Flanagan directed Doctor Sleep. Mm-hmm. Both have consulted with Stephen King and Stephen King has different opinions about both people. Mm-hmm. He hated Kubrick. Yeah. He loved Flanagan. Yeah. Because Michael Flanagan directs those Haunting of Hill House and Bly Manor shows. And Midnight Mass. Are you for real? Yeah. Isn't it cool? I never knew that. I've he- seen Mike Flanagan. Right. <clears throat> because I will watch I will watch any of those. Anytime yeah. one of those comes <laughs> out on Netflix, I'm right there. Right. But he directed Have you those- watched Hush on yes. Netflix also? He directed that. Yes. The girl who's in... Well, she's not a girl. She's a woman. But um, the woman who's in all of those yeah. and Hush, she's the main character. That's his wife. They're married. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Did you know that... I'm sorry. We're going to go on a small tangent. Just <laughs> okay. because I just saw this on TikTok the other day and I was like, oh, I'm shook. <laughs> so she in Hush, she's a writer. Right. She's writing a book. Right. That she she's having like writer's block and having trouble writing. And she's the, also mute and deaf, right? Yes, yeah. Yes. The book she's writing is Midnight Mass. <gasps> Seriously? Literally is Midnight Mass. When they show when she's talking about like the opening chapter, it's Midnight Mass. I'm like, are you shitting my dick right now? I'm like <laughs> I was like, that is so cool. And it came out before Midnight Mass. See, now here's the thing about Hush. I loved Hush. I thought it was a good movie. It had me on the edge of my seat throughout the entire fucking movie. I wanted to add that onto my list. But one of my other choices is similar to that. Yeah. But I didn't want to keep it consistent in terms of, like, plot. But I will say that Hush was a really good movie. Mike Flanagan is an amazing director. And Stephen King loved working with him. That's probably why I like Doctor Sleep so much. Yeah. Because I was like, this is a really good movie. Doctor Sleep had really cool, like, dream sequence shots. Which Michael Flanagan has also... Well, Mike Flanagan has been very known to do. Have you watched Midnight Mass? I have not. I haven't watched. I haven't watched any of those shows. Oh, yeah. I know. Everybody, whenever I tell people I haven't watched those movies or those shows on Netflix, they're like, how can you love horror movies and not watch Haunting the Hill House? And I'm like, Aaliyah? Well, because I've watched The House on Haunted Hill with Vincent Price and then the remake from the 90s with um, Tay Diggs from Rent. Yeah, he's in it. And those were good movies, but... I wasn't sure if that was kind of the same thing. Oh, no. It's totally different. Yeah. It's totally different. So, I heard a lot of good things about it, though. I will probably get a chance to watch. That's going to be my new thing to binge now. You will cry. I will cry. I've okay. cried at every, every, like, Season? series. Okay. I cried during Hill House. I cried during Bly Manor. I cried during The Night Mass. Okay. It's really good, though. Okay. It's really good. So, The Shining is a good example of a psychological thriller. Yeah. Because it is then- literally watching the minds of the cast deteriorate because of yeah either the setting or something about the set like like i said either there's a, a 
character, a plot, a setting, like some sort of something that like makes these characters like. And I feel like this one has a domino effect because once yes. Jack starts to lose his shit, then it affects Wendy's. Yeah, and then it kind of also affects. Well, because she's. But I feel like it affects, running for a life for right. him. <laughs> and I feel like it. I mean, with with Danny and Jack, it affects them both differently. Like Jack starts to snowball into like a weird manic mindset, whereas Danny is like, okay, now he's afraid of being here. Yeah, and he's got to find a, a a way to get out. That's okay. He's got to find a way to get out. And because both of them are acting a little erratic, it's causing Wendy to kind of, like, not make sense of what is going on here. Yeah. But she knows that they have to leave this place in order to be able to walk away from whatever the hell is going on here. Yeah. Which I think is really interesting. But I don't like Stanley Kubrick. No. And even, like I said, Stephen King hated him. Yeah. He is a dick. Yeah. However, that movie is really good. It is a good movie. It's a very good movie. It's a good movie. A lot of people like it. It's one of those movies that's very iconic, especially the image of Jack's face oh, going yeah. through the hole of the door. He's like, here's Johnny. Or but- Krista and I, my best friend Krista, um, <laughs> will do that. Wendy, light up my life. life. I do that all the time. <laughs> Anytime I hear the name Wendy, I go, Wendy, light up my life. And I'm like, it's just... That's one of my other points in here. Quotables. Are there quotable things that are quotable or certain sounds or music that, like, are, like, boom. Like, that's from that movie. Going back to the Babadook. Brian cannot do that Babadook, Duke, Duke, like, the sound it makes. Yeah. Or I will full-on have a freaking panic attack because that thing scares the shit out of me okay he'll and he does it like spot on oh because it's very like raspy and like like that and i'm like he'll do it sometimes i'm like i will punch you right in the face do not do that to me oh my god that is so creepy yeah i don't like it but that The Shining is very much that. Like, the Here's Johnny or, like, the Wendy Light of My Life, like, has very much, like, a quotable, like, if you hear that, like, you know exactly yeah. what that's from. And then it brings up another good trope that I found when I was doing my research, but the fear, yes. paranoia, and in some cases, like, a cat and mouse chase sort of thing. Yes. We see that a lot, not just in the original, but in the remake especially. Yeah. And especially with, the, with a character or creature like Pennywise that feeds off of your fear yeah that is a, an interesting concept mm-hmm. you know brian tried to tell me that it was not a psychological thriller oh and i'm like you're wrong but okay okay <laughs> <laughs> that's your opinion but you're wrong i also have a pennywise yes, up here too. i love as much as them the both of those movies both the original and the remakes um i also have a little make me like, as scared as that was making me, I love those. Depends. As scared as those movies make me, I will watch them any day of the week. Right. And it's the same thing. Very much, I like the, it's also in one of my things here, too. Oh, one of them is uh, movies that give me goose pimps. <laughs> goose pimps. <laughs> movies that give me goose pimps or goosebumps. I don't call them goosebumps, I call them goose pimps. Well, um, goosebumps just sounds like a weird, like, I mean, there's a whole book and TV series, yeah. Goosebumps. I feel like if you say it like that, then it's like 
oh, like Goosebumps, like the book series. Yeah, and no. I'm like, nah, no. like Goose Pimples. Yeah, no. Goose Pimps. Full on <laughs> Goose and Goose Pimps. I also have like one of the tropes or like the things that I like or look for or like a movie that can heighten current fears or create new ones. Oh, yeah. When we went to go see the remake of it, uh-huh. when we left, someone had a red robin balloon in their car oh but it was a red balloon and it was in the back seat but like it must have been like on like a little stick because it was like standing straight up oh god and so like we got out of the movie it was nighttime like pitch black outside like no lights whatsoever and we're walking to our car i go to get in the car and the car that's like parked like we're in one parking spot and the car that's like facing ours like right across from ours i look in and i'm like there's a red goddamn balloon in there are you kidding me right now? So I was a lot like, of people <laughs> were doing that when that movie came out in theaters. People were seeing like red balloons everywhere tied to just random shit, and even yeah. some people were tying them to like the storm the storm drains oh, on the side of the street. And like, I'm like, no, why? No. Why would you do that to Hard people? Pass. Do not do there that is, to me ever. There is a special place in hell for people, for people like, like that. Yes. <laughs> yes, but yeah, I mean, watching that movie was really. Like, especially the second half of the remake. Oh, yeah. I have never jumped so high than that scene in um, part two where it's the flashback scene for Richie. And he has that moment in the arcade where he sees the kid that he's, like, he likes and he oh, wants to go talk yeah. to. And then the bully calls him out and he runs outside to, you know, and sits on the bench and cries. And all yeah. of a sudden they pan over and... Paul Bunyan's like right in his face. Yes. I never jumped so high than that. And I'm yeah. like, that is so fucking creepy. Or in the first remake with her dad, the part with Ben's yes. dad, where she turns around to leave the bathroom and he's like right, right there. there. Yeah. I literally in the theater were like, oh, oh. I was like, oh. I had a Hank, I had a Hank kill moment. That's what Brian calls it. I had a Hank kill moment where I was like, oh, I was like a Hank kill. Oh yeah. my god. He's like, you had a hand kill moment. Oh I, like, god. almost jumped out of my seat. I was like, oh my god. <laughs> I was like, Those, you can't do that to me. Those remakes are terrifying. They're so scary. And that is another one that Kyle and I have to do eventually for the podcast. When we do our remake debates, we'll yeah. talk about the original and the remake of a movie. Yeah. That's I, one I have yet to do. Yeah. I'm but, usually not a fan of remakes. Yeah. But I, that is a pretty good, that's yeah. a pretty good one. That's we did one of Carrie recently. With my wife. <laughs> with my wife. <laughs> my wife. I love Chloe Grace Moritz. She is amazing. I love her, so I love her as an actress. But yeah, that, that was a good one. And what else do you have in your last two? Um, my last two are Seven and Identity. Okay, so we'll talk about Seven. I did also put down Identity on my list, so I think yeah. we'll both talk about it and then maybe kind of segue into my other two. Yes. So Seven. And you know what's Again, I haven't seen Seven. Are you serious? I have it on DVD, and I bought the DVD with the intention to watch Seven. yeah. And it's on Netflix right now, so I have to watch it. You do. I know. (laughs) Again, quotable movie. Yeah. What's in the box? box? What's in the box? Literally, anytime Ryan says something. They even quoted on How I Met Your Mother. Yes. Yeah. Everywhere. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. Anytime I see a box, what's in the box? And you know what's so interesting, too? There are certain things, like, in certain moments of my life, I've, like, I become fascinated with things, and then I start to kind of research it and dive down the rabbit hole. The Seven Deadly Sins were one of those things growing up where I was just like, oh, that's interesting. It's like, 
seven different types of like moral sins that men and men and women and people can commit and it's like people base so much shit on the seven deadly sins like books movies tv shows even art and it's like i have yet to watch seven the fuck so good yeah it's so good kevin spacey plays way too good of a bad guy well he isn't really a good guy. I know. Read recently. Well, but. you know what's interesting? Going back to uh, mostly horror movie night, uh, the guy Sean, one of the hosts, he posted something about how, in in light of everything that's going on in the world today, he recommended some movies that people should watch to kind of help, like, kind of get in the mindset of what's happening right now. And he recommended A Bug's Life. Oh yeah. And Hopper, who's voiced by Kevin Spacey. Who's one mean motherfucker has this iconic scene in the movie where he's trying to demonstrate to the other grasshoppers oh, why yes. it's important that they go back to the ant hill every week or whatever yeah. and assert their dominance because mm-hmm. and it, it's it's just a scene that as kids we don't think about it that much we just think that he's just this bully type character who just wants to push these ants around but then when you watch it again as adult it hits different because it's like you're like oh (laughs) wait that's uh problematic because that's literally what our society is doing right now right Um, and then it's like the fact that like you watch as an adult and you're like oh hopper was a lot more evil than we thought he was as a disney villain and then coupled with the fact that he's voiced by a very not so nice actor yeah. is also problematic. Yeah, but it ma- almost makes sense to a point. Yeah, so I like again very much like that moral. It's a psychological thriller, but it's more like on the ground of like morals. Yeah, it's very much like a makes you makes you think about how yeah people act and why they do what they do kind yeah. of thing. And yeah. like justification like the guy kevin spacey's character he's like oh well i killed those people because they were the seven deadly sins like they were like the one guy who was overweight and he ate a lot he did him as um was it sloth yes yeah there was some guy who was like ceo or lawyer or something he made a lot of money was greed and lust there i think it was a like a sex worker Yeah. yeah i think and you know, stuff like that, but, like, he felt justified, even though killing is a sin. Yeah. And, it it, and he's, you know, whatever, he is, like, justified. Oh, well, I'm, I'm, you know, somehow, Raph. yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, what? <laughs> no. <laughs> Which, here's the thing, I, so, like, when I think of wrath, I mean, wrath is essentially the act of doing something out of anger. Mm-hmm. Like, when you're angry and you get violent, that's an act of wrath. I feel like Kevin Spacey's demeanor throughout the whole movie is really it's, calm. Exactly, way too calm. You're way to be too doing calm this. to be representing wrath if that's your thing. Yeah. Like, I guess if if he took a lot of pride in what he's doing, because pride and vanity is yeah. a sin. He, he, he take, did. There was one that was pride and vanity, and I yeah. don't remember, or vanity, and I don't remember what it was. Yeah. But it's been a long time since I've seen that movie as well, but it's really good. It's on Netflix, yeah. and I'm going to have to watch it eventually. But yeah, I mean, that's that's an interesting way of looking at it, too, because, I mean, it's something that gets talked about a lot, mm-hmm. but not often, like, thought about or dissected enough, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. 
So I think that's an interesting way of looking at it. Yeah, I think about that movie maybe like every couple of months. <laughs> I'll think about that movie about every couple of months because I'll be like, you know, I'll think of something that reminds me of that movie and I'm like, you know, that movie. And Brian's like, oh God, here we go again. Right. <laughs> so. Oh my God, there's another thing I was thinking about. Whenever I think of Seven Deadly Sins, I think of something else and I can't remember what it is. It must have been like a supernatural episode. Because they did something similar like that. Because mm-hmm. I know with, like, there was a Valentine's Day episode where everybody was just constantly, like, in a, in a ravenous way, were, like, either killing each other or overconsumption of things. And everybody thought it was, well, the Winchesters thought it was, like, a Cupid. Mm-hmm. Because it was, you know, out of love or whatever. Yeah. And it turned out being... I think one of the um, four horsemen oh. of the apocalypse. Oh, jeez. Yeah, because there's pestilence, death, war, and famine. I think it might have been famine. That's interesting too. I'll have to I'll have to do something like that in another episode. So you also have identity. Yes. So I also put down identity. And do you mind if I read the synopsis for it? Cause oh, I, yeah. Because okay. I. What I did, usually what I do when I do these, like, movie reviews or discussions, I'll do, like, the movie title, its release date, I'll do a brief synopsis of it, and then I'll do, like, a a quick cast list. Mm -hmm. It's got a huge cast lineup, which is interesting, but um, the synopsis goes, Stranded at a desolate Nevada motel during a nasty rainstorm, ten strangers become acquainted with each other when they realize that they're being killed off one by one. And I think it's very interesting the way that it's kind of... It's set up to make you think that, in the beginning, that... Almost like a slasher film. Yeah. Or very much like a... Almost like a psycho-esque type, like, motel on the side of the road in the middle of nowhere. Right. And then it goes hard left. (laughs) Right. But I think the way that it sets it up in the beginning is the fact that, like, we see these... It's almost like these board members of a psychological facility. Mm-hmm. And they're evaluating this patient, and his doctor is there. Yeah. And this patient is being sentenced to death for the murder of ten people at a hotel. Yeah. Now, the, the whole thing about it is that the doctor doesn't believe he really did it. That his patient whose name I'm blanking on. Um, I have to look it up. He doesn't believe that he is truly... Malcolm. Malcolm? Mm -hmm. So he doesn't believe that Malcolm is truly doing it. He believes that somebody else is doing it. But what they don't reveal until towards the end is that Malcolm has multiple personalities. And Mm -hmm. the doctor believes that one of these personalities is the actual killer. So the doctor believes that... The doctor believes that if Malcolm can gather up all of his personalities and figure out which one is doing this and in some way kind of recreating what had happened in real life Mm -hmm. he can narrow it down to who did it and then maybe in some way kill off all the other personalities to just one so you have malcolm and one non-threatening personality which is essentially what happens throughout this movie and it's a very odd twist at the end it's so good I didn't find a few interesting facts about it I wanted to share. Okay. So several endings were filmed in order to shroud the real conclusion in secrecy, 
It's actually a tactic that Wes Craven used when he was filming the Scream movies. Mm-hmm. With each movie, he would film like a variety of different endings and then not tell anybody what Which the real ending. Which one they're going to use. Yeah. Oh. So that way, when the, when the big reveal came at the end, everybody, even the cast, would be shocked to find out what his decision was. Right. And I put it as like a little spoiler. The ten people at the motel represent the multiple personalities or identities of a serial killer awaiting execution, which is kind of what I just said earlier. Yeah. And then the psychiatrist, Dr. Malik, believes that the prisoner is capable of figuring out which one of these personalities is the killer by gathering the other identities together and narrowing down who is behind the serial killings, which I thought was really, really cool. What are your thoughts on identities? So, I went into it. Well... I don't even remember the first time that I watched it. I remember one of the times we watched it was when we were at Dad's one time. Probably. That was probably... And I remember Dad... Dad always said that movie was such a good movie and the way it was kind of, like, written and Mm -hmm. laid out for you. I was like, wow, that is actually really cool. Mm -hmm. Especially that big twist at the end. Yeah. Well, and I... So, when we watched it... I very much thought it was like like I said like psycho like a like a slasher like oh all these people oh, yeah. are at a hotel or like a motel on the side of the road in the middle of nowhere and like one by one they're getting like picked off and so it's going to be very much like a, it's going to come down to like one or two people and they're going to have to like fight whoever's doing this or whatever mm-hmm. and then like little things that like make sense at the end but like they all have the same birthday right and. Um, like, weren't they all had the same birthday and they're all from the same, like, city or something? Yeah. Yeah. And, like, when it came to, like, how they grew up, none of them, like, really had, like, a... Like a clear... Yeah, like a clear, uh, you know, like, when they were getting to know each other, it was very much like, oh, well, this is, like, what I am now. Yeah, versus what I, you, what I was when I was younger. Yeah, because... Okay. And then I was like, "Mm, that makes sense, because typically when has multiple personality or dissociative identity disorder yes they're developed over time so and they're developed at different stages in life so Mm -hmm. it's like oh it makes sense that like none of you really had like well i grew up and like when you know i have this many siblings and parents and this and we grew up in this kind of house and we had like a dog or a cat or blah 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 you know like i went to this school i'm like hmm interesting it's like it's like each of them had a starting point like their earliest memory was at some random part in their life but they can't remember anything further than from that right have you ever seen the show moon Knight on disney plus no okay so oh, wait is that the one with oscar isaac yes yes i have so it's sort God. of similar so oscar isaac oscar isaac's character in moon Knight. so he's got steven mark and then he's got another one named john Lockie. i think it's mm-hmm. his name so Mark is the original person. Mm-hmm. And then it's revealed during the show at some point that Stephen was created to disassociate from the physical and mental abuse from his mother. Mm. So when Stephen is watching, you know, because there's a part where Mark kind of goes into his mindset mm-hmm. and tries to kind of like dissect everything that happened in his life. Like where did it all mm-hmm. start? And why did, why is Steve here? But Steve doesn't realize that he's he's the personality that's not supposed yeah. to be there. Yeah. And he's not understanding why Mark is creating this other reality mm-hmm. that to Steven isn't real. 
Yeah. But it's like, Mark has to say to him, like, no, Steven, this is real, yeah. and you were created as a coping mechanism to get through my mom's abuse. Yeah. And it, it's a very, like, gut-wrenching moment to yeah. unfold. Yeah. But when you watch, like, Identity... And they're all, you know, trying to piece together what is happening. How all of them came to this hotel in the first place. Mm-hmm. And what is happening. Because I believe it's Ray Liotta's character who has mm-hmm. passed away recently. We yes, I know. Very sad to hear about his I passing. Know. Him I and James Caan, too. I know, I saw that and I who, was like, no. Who was in the movie Misery with Kathy Bates, which is also considered to be a psychological thriller movie. I do movie. love Misery. It's a good fucking movie. And that was another one. Colin texted me the other day. It was like, James Conn died. And I'm like, no. Yeah, I saw, I got a tweet, um, a notification on Twitter about that. And I sent it to Brian. And I was like, I could cry right now. I'm at work. Right? <laughs> like, so I love him. Ray Liotta's character plays a cop. And he is transporting a suspect in a murder case. Mm-hmm. And his his suspect escapes the car that he's transporting him in and everybody starts to believe well maybe it's this killer that's doing everything Mm -hmm. and spoiler alert it is not extra spoiler alert uh malcolm has one of these personalities named timmy who's a young boy who came from two parents who are another two different uh personality of malcolm's Mm -hmm. and I think the dad's actually played by what's his face from Scrubs. Oh yeah, the, the doctor. Yes, I can't remember his name. Yeah, I'm blanking again. But anyway, um, it's the young boy. He is believed to have gone missing or uh, killed at one he, point during the movie. Yeah, he actually uh, fakes his death, hides away somewhere, and then pops back up at the end. To kill the supposed soul-surviving personality. Yeah, Paris. Paris, yeah. 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 I'm like, oh. Oh, that part killed me. I was like, oh, God. Although. That was like, oh, that is creepy. Yeah. That a young, that, like, that, that type of personality that is a young kid. Yeah. That is killing all these people. Yeah. That is just so creepy. Yeah, he was, he was bad. Yeah. And then. The ending. Well, the one part that, like, I was like, whoa, what is, were, well, I mean, there were little things that, like, started to make it veer off into, like, oh, maybe this is more than just, like, an escaped prisoner. Yeah. Type of thing. The one part is when he, I don't know, he, like, closes his eyes really hard and then he opens them up, John Cusack's character. And he wakes up and and he's in the room with the board members. Yes. And he's, like talking to them like what's going on like right and they're trying to tell him like no your name is malcolm rivers like right. this is what's happening and it's it goes in between john cusack sitting at the table and the guy who plays malcolm yeah it like anytime they'll like pan to one of the board members and then it pans back to him it like it'll one second yeah. it'll be john cusack and then it'll pan to someone else and pan back to him and it's the other it, guy malcolm and looks, i'm like oh my god even, it's so great he even looks in the window and he tries to see mm-hmm. his reflection it's a completely different face from his and he freaks out yeah. he's like who the hell is that and he's like that's you you're malcolm yeah. like yeah. that is so fucking weird yeah like, it, it, yeah. it's like you say it's one of those movies that takes a hard left yeah then you didn't even realize yeah. what was happening. Yeah, because I was, like, kind of not getting it. I was but like, what is happening? And then that part happened, I was like, hold on. We want to know what's interesting when you mention uh, prisoner escapes. That's another trope in psychological thrillers yes. that I didn't write down. But 
the trope, one of the tropes of psychological thrillers is that if a prisoner inmate escapes from a nearby prison and all these random things that are happening in the process, mm-hmm. be- people believe it's the killer or the prisoner, the inmate that has escaped. And it turns out to be something completely different. And it's like, oh, that is crazy. Like, you remember the movie that was out, like, in the early 2000s? Uh, was it The Uninvited? <gasps> yes. With Elizabeth Banks? Yes. Yeah. She believes that Elizabeth Banks is this mental patient escapee who was put away for killing children that she nannied for which is not true yeah which is another again the the notion of psychological thrillers is that a a movie or plot is being told by somebody who is not credible yeah and that's again another trope in of itself yeah so that's a that's an interesting thing to think about not only with identity but the uninvited and yeah other movies like that Mm. like that I think that's really cool. Yeah. Is there anything else you wanted to touch base about identity before I bring up one of my movies? Um, the only, I guess the only issue with identity, and it they do it a lot with movies that deal with a character that has like multiple personalities or dissociative identity disorder, is that the others or the alternative don't know about each other yeah and that's usually not the case they usually all are aware of each other yeah and because i think the only one that doesn't really know about it is is the original yeah yeah because it and that's due to like the cope the reason why they're the alternatives are there yeah it's like a coping mechanism so the original person Well, whenever something triggers them or something traumatic happens, it's like the original, like, it shuts off and then someone else steps in. Right. And so, but all the, like, alternatives will know about each other. Usually it's the original who doesn't know about the others. They, sometimes they will, Mm -hmm. though, because... Well, I don't know how that would work, but I I've heard of cases where like the original yeah will know about the alternatives. And it's interesting too because going back to Moon Knight, uh, the show, because when when Mark and Steve switch, mm-hmm. like they'll they'll voluntarily switch places, mm-hmm. but at one point in time, one of them or both of them will black out, and then they'll wake up, and then there's like a bunch of dead bodies surrounding them, and they're like, "What just happened here?" Yeah, and. The, like, Mark will assume that it's Steve, and Steve will assume it's Mark, and apparently it's the third identity mm-hmm. that they know nothing about. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how how do we not know about these? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, there's that uh, concept, too, that they may not all know about each other, and that yeah. there may be other identities, because nobody knew, like, in identity, nobody knew that it was Timmy. Timmy yeah. doesn't really give off that kind of like menacing vibe yeah, until he's very, like the like, very passive. End. It, yeah, literally yeah. up until the end, the very last scene with Paris, and yeah. I'm like, whoa, whoa. yeah, <laughs> that's crazy. I ugh. the what, and then when he's in the back of the car because it happens, yeah. he's oh, yeah. being taken to. He's being transported from. The, I think it, I think the it, facility, the psychiatric facility, to. The jail where he's yeah going to so, be executed, right? Or so essentially, like what happens is that once he has narrowed down that 
they believe the the violent personality has perished and yeah. Paris is the last surviving identity along with Malcolm. They think that he is deemed safe enough to be able to transport out of a psychiatric facility into a real jail cell and yeah. you know can live out his years there. Mm-hmm. Somewhere along the way of transportation though he Malcolm is in that mindset with Paris, and you know she's, yeah, she's at the she, farm, like she she's at like the a, yeah a garden or something. She has like a house with like a little garden. And yeah, and then all of a sudden Timmy shows up, and, and that's when Malcolm switch. <laughs> Malcolm switches from Paris to Timmy. Yeah, and not only Timmy kills her. Timmy kills Paris, and then and Malcolm then kills everybody. Literally in the everyone. Car. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh my god, that, that is terrifying. That movie had me shook. I was like, hold on, <laughs> right? Hold on, right? <laughs> Like, you need a minute to process all of this of what just happened. Right. Okay. So, I don't even know which one I'm going to start with because I should probably start with the oldest one. And I have mentioned this on the podcast before, but uh, Alfred Hitchcock's 1954 Rear Window is one of my favorite older movies in terms of, like, Mm -hmm. horror and psychological thriller because... And I've said this before on the podcast also, not to be like a broken record, but it's one of those movies that where if you are in a like uh, videography or photography college mm-hmm. program, it's one of those things that your professors will show you to view good examples of different shots and angles. Yeah, and like lighting and stuff. Yeah, I, because and when you mentioned lighting too, another thing I forgot to mention is that, well, I told you about this earlier, but... The entire set of the movie where Rear Window was constructed on a production stage. Mm-hmm. And they look like actual buildings with wide windows that you can look in and you can see like furniture, walls, and everything mm-hmm. was constructed to be like actual live in apartments. Mm-hmm. Which is why it's still today considered one of the most expensive production. Uh, oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Production yeah. sets in the Hollywood industry. The lighting system, there's like four different panels of lighting for different times of day. Mm -hmm. So there's scenes that are like morning, mid-afternoon, evening, and then night. Hmm. So that way it'll be like mostly dark, but you'll still get like a few sunlights of like, well not sunlights, but still lighting. Like like a bluish hue for like moonlight or like things like that, yeah. So I thought that was really cool. Well here, let me do do the synopsis really quick. So, a wheelchair-bound photographer spies on his neighbors from his Greenwich Village courtyard apartment window and becomes convinced one of them has committed murder despite the skepticism of his fashion model girlfriend. Mm. Which is, I think Grace Kelly plays his girlfriend in this movie. So, this film actually went on to inspire Brian De Palma's Body Double, which was released in 1984. And Philip Noyce's uh, Sliver, 1993. I don't know if you've ever seen those movies. I haven't really seen them either. I don't know. Okay. One of the plot points I thought was interesting to note was uh, this is how he kind of gets the snowball rolling with the theory that his neighbor has killed his uh, wife. So Jeff's assistant, Stella, scolds him for spying on his neighbors until Jeff mentions that the salesman may be single and available soon. And after his girlfriend Lisa sees the salesman strapping down a trunk through his apartment window, that's when the three of them begin to gossip about the possibility that the salesman murdered his wife. Mm-hmm. So it's a very interesting thing, and I think it's also... Well, you remember the movie Disturbia with Shia LaBeouf, right? Yes. Because after Rear Window, it actually would go on to make a remake with Christopher Reeves. Okay. 
And then we had Disturbia in the 2000s, which is sort of a remake. It's the same concept, only Mm -hmm. instead of a wheelchair-bound older man, it's a teenage kid with a house arrest bracelet. Yeah. So he can't go anywhere. He can't leave his house. Yeah. So when you're either wheelchair-bound or if you're stuck at home all day and you've done everything you possibly could do from home, Mm -hmm. what's the next best thing you're going to do? people watch yeah so with binoculars or a telescope or something you're able to spy on your neighbors through your you know bedroom window or in this case rear window mm-hmm. and see what they're doing in the privacy of their own homes but mm-hmm. if you see something that looks really sus and you start to speculate like mm-hmm. something is going on over there i should probably investigate this more in case he decides to set out and kill other people mm. and then you start to got, get like really paranoid yeah. about it which is another trope like the fear and paranoia of yeah. things that are going on around you mm. you know surprisingly for being like a psychological thriller or even in this instance almost like a horror movie there are only two killings yeah mrs thorwald who was the wife of the salesman and the do- one of the dogs of the neighbors because mm. it's it's really shot in this like courtyard area mm-hmm. so you have all these different people and all these different apartment windows and one of the neighbors is actually someone who lives on like one of the upper floors mm-hmm. but she's got this almost like toy dog mm-hmm. she lowers him in a basket into the courtyard so yes. he can go outside and although it's never really fully revealed where the wife is buried this dog starts smelling around this one part of the courtyard yeah so he has the dog killed so that he doesn't yeah. dig rub yeah so that's an interesting concept mm-hmm. to think about. I mean, I, how do you feel about animals being murdered in movies? I, I mean, it makes me very upset. Right? It makes me very upset. I think, like, in certain cases, it doesn't need to happen. Yeah. Like, if you're doing it for the sake of the fact that you know that people generally, like, hurt more over yeah. animal deaths than over, like, child deaths or even other yeah. human deaths. Yeah. It could be a bit unnecessary, but I think in this instance, it almost works. Yeah, because it it has something to do with the plot. Yeah. Like, he did it because the dog was sniffing around and could have potentially uncovered that his yeah. wife was murdered. So, like, yes, that makes sense, because that is something that would happen in real life. Right. But, like, and I know this is totally different, this isn't a psychological thriller, right. but, like paranormal activity movie okay the one with the the kids uh chrissy sister okay with the short hair remember the dog gets like dragged into the basement oh the german shepherd oh god and like almost killed thankfully the dog doesn't die but But well i don't know if it if it eventually did i they take the dog to like an animal hospital but like the dog He's, like, downstairs walking around. Then he starts to, like, whine or growl Mm -hmm. in the kitchen, in the basement. Doors in the kitchen. The door swings open, and then the dog's just, like, whoosh, into the basement. And then it's, like, mangled. I'm like, you didn't have to do that. Yeah. (laughs) You didn't have to do that. Yeah, like, we we didn't need that. (laughs) Yeah, that's just traumatizing for me. I don't want to watch that. And then even in some slasher movies, like... They'll do, yeah. The the killer will kill, like, a, a family pet. Yeah. It's, like... First don't of all, do we don't need that. Well, the one Halloween, the second Halloween remake, the Rob oh, yeah. Zombie one, where they're eating pizza or something, yeah. like, or she's eating something, and at the same time he's, like, killing a dog. I'm like, yeah. please don't do that. Yeah, like... <laughs> I don't that, like that. That didn't need to happen. Yeah. Like... I'm like, no, I don't like that. <laughs> yeah, like, that part didn't really need to happen, but I think in a way, 
it's interesting how it ties into the fact that in some ways Michael and Lori are connected. connected yeah. Whether yeah, it's because then you know, she throws up, and I'm yeah. like, girl, same. I right. Um, <laughs> By the way, did you know that her and um, Danielle Harris have a podcast? Yes, you told I, me about that. I love I that love podcast. That. It's so funny. I'm going to add in one little tidbit of information about the production of Rear Window, and then I'm going to paint you a word picture, and then I'm going to give you true crime examples of how this movie is, like, connected. Okay. Okay. So, um, because the production set was so vast and big, mm-hmm. Alfred Hitchcock actually used, like, earpiece radio products to help communicate with his staff and cast members on um, mm. directioning on where, what to do in each scene. Yeah. And at one point, there's a scene where it's nighttime, you know, it's a shot of the courtyard, and one of the other neighbors that's in one of the buildings are this couple that they like to spend a lot of time out on the fire escape. Yes. And they actually sleep out there. Yes. So it starts to rain one night. And so you can see the man and woman get up and they've got their windows open. And Alfred Hitchcock had told each of them to go in opposite directions. So when you see them kind of play tug of war a bit with the uh, bag and mattress, it's genuine. Yeah. Like, the the fact that he thought of that and was, like... Yeah, like, that would be kind of, like, cool. Yeah, like, you get a reaction like that, and it's like, oh, that's so freaking cool. So, I'm going to paint you a word picture because, again, this is a a movie that a lot of um, cinematographers idolize because Mm -hmm. it's so well put together. So, during the opening of the film, about 23 seconds in, Mm -hmm. the camera pans out... Jeff's apartment window mm-hmm. and it follows a cat for a moment across the courtyard and then the camera will tilt up or upwards and pans to the left towards the top apartments you see a mysterious flash of light for a moment in one of the top windows possibly like a they say a, like a bathing beauties which is like the vanity uh, window mm-hmm. or mirrors mm-hmm. strangely enough this apartment is never mentioned in the film or is the flash explained? Oh. Isn't that interesting? That's kind of annoying. <laughs> it's annoying, but it's interesting. You know what to I mean? To me, I'd be like, so what was that all about? Right. Okay. <laughs> but that's, that's again, how- that's just how my mind works. I'd be, like, fixated on that one thing. I'd be like, it's, so are it's, we going to not going to, we're just not going to explain that? We're just not going to explain that flash of light. Just like we're not going to explain how in birds, Tippi Hendren's, like, staring at a doorknob for, like, an incredibly long amount of time before she enters into the room with birds. Yeah. Again, again, it's just, it's Alfred Hitchcock's quirky style of, like, directing and direction. Yeah. So, there are two inspirations, supposedly, to this. So, Sir Alfred Hitchcock noted in the modern interview that the 1910 case of Dr. Holly Harvey Crippen also served as inspiration for this movie. Crippen, who was an American living in London, poisoned his wife and cut up her body, then told police that she had moved to Los Angeles. Crippen was eventually caught after his secretary, with whom he had been having an affair with, was seen wearing Mrs. Crippen's jewelry. And a family friend searched unsuccessfully for Mrs. Crippen um, in California. So family members of hers went to California to try to find her, could not find her in L.A. Hmm. After Scotland Yard became involved, Crippen and his mistress fled to fled England under false names and were apprehended on an ocean liner. Police found parts of Mrs. Crippen's body in her cellar. 
And it was partially inspired by the real-life murder case of Patrick Mahon. Or Mahon? M-A-H-O-N. I don't know how you pronounce that. Mahon? Mahon. In 1924 in Sussex, England. Mahon murdered his pregnant mistress, Emily Kay. <laughs> sorry. Are you for real? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I did not realize that when I looked this up. I'd be like, listen... He dismembered her body, and in modern interview, Sir Alfred Hitchcock claimed that Mahan threw the body parts out of a train window piece by piece and oh. buried buried the head in his fireplace. Another source, however, states that Mahan quartered the body and stored it in a large trunk, then removed internal organs, putting some in biscuit tins and a hat box. Ugh. Yuck. Don't mean to get too graphic, but I just thought that was interesting to note but yeah yeah i th- i like that movie i think it's a interesting it is, a good movie. It is amazing my f- friend mike also mike pinellas mm-hmm. sorry to shout him out but he loves jimmy stewart oh yeah <laughs> he thinks he's a good actor he is yeah, a good actor. jimmy stewart was in it's a wonderful life oh okay yeah he is also in vertigo which was another alfred hitchcock <gasps> yes, movie i liked vertigo he was in how the west ha- was won Oh, I don't know what that is, but... Uh, neither do I. Oh, he, was, he did a, a voice acting in American Tale. Oh. The, the Wild West version. Yeah. Uh, the interesting thing about Alfred Hitchcock is that out of all the movies that he directed and put together, he only directed two horror movies, which was Psycho and The Birds. Everything else yeah, is considered... Is. Everything else is considered either a drama, noir, or thriller. Yeah. Which... So, my third movie is The Strangers, which was released in 2008, and it's a young couple staying in an isolated vacation home are terrorized by three unknown assailants. Now, for the longest time, a lot of people assumed that this was based off of two true crime cases, which were Mm -hmm. the Manson Family Murders and the Keddie Cabin Murders. Mm, Yeah, yeah. However, director Brian Bertino revealed the plot is based on an experience he had as a kid. One night, a stranger came to his door, asked for somebody who was not the, was not there, and had left. And he found out sometime later that other houses in his neighborhood had been broken into that night. Which is interesting because if, if you haven't watched it, I do encourage you to watch it because it's very, like, it's, it's very, very nerving. Yeah. But at one point in time, all three intruders are in the house. They've tied up Liv Tyler and her boyfriend yeah. in the movie. And she's asking them, like, why are you doing this? And he's like, you were the only ones home. Yeah. Like, that's that's creepy. Yeah. That there's, like, no, there's no, like, motive. There's no nope, reason. just because. Yeah, like. That is a very real fear that I have. Yeah. That is why the second I get home, I lock the doors yeah. i lock the window I, I will never be someone who sleeps with like a window open even right. if it's like there's a screen no because someone can cut the screen right. i never leave a door unlocked i've locked myself out a few yeah. times because oh, i yeah. am so like you're in obsessive a rush. about making sure that the door is locked like i've gone to take the dog for a walk and i just don't even think about it i'll lock the door mm-hmm. behind me and then I'm like, oh, locked myself out. That's yeah. cool. I've done that a few times. And in this apartment that I've had, actually, since Colin's been gone, I've only locked myself out once. Thankfully, I rang the other doorbells in my building and somebody let me in. But the last time that happened, Colin was out of town in Buffalo 
for the weekend and I had decided to, well, I hadn't decided, but I had to take the dogs out at least one more time before I went to bed. And this was in March. So it's like 30, 40 degrees outside. Oh. I locked myself out and I could not get in. I tried ringing the doorbells to the other apartments. Nobody was answering. Nobody was letting me in. And I didn't have the number for the maintenance crew to come help me inside. So I'm calling Colin, who's all the way out in Buffalo, and his mom is trying to look up the number for maintenance. He finally calls him and says, hey, I'm out in Buffalo right now, and my wife is has locked herself out of the building. And he's like, if someone can please rush over there and help her in, it's, like, really cold outside. Yeah. It took him 45 minutes to get to my apartment and let me in. Oh. So. Oh, my God. There was that. But thankfully, nobody, like sketchy came by the only thing that was sketchy about sitting outside waiting for maintenance to show up were the fact that like it's late at night it's cold outside and there were mice and rats running around in the parking lot oh no yeah because i mean my apartment building is behind a couple of shops that are out on like the main road and they have dumpsters like on the other side of this tree line oh and we have a dumpster that's like right up front like a few buildings over from us so they're like running around getting into all these trash so the dogs so the dogs are freaking out i'm sitting there trying to keep myself warm the dogs are sitting outside with me shivering and i just felt so bad i was like i can't get inside and i'm like i locked myself out so now every time colin goes out of town colin mom and dad will all remind me to make sure you bring your keys with you when you go outside yeah but yeah there's (laughs) but it is it is a very terrifying movie and then one interesting thing i found about the production of this movie that was similar to rear window during the filming in order to get an actual reaction from Liv tyler brian bertino would tell her that to expect a loud noise coming from one direction but would actually have the loud noise coming from a completely different direction. Oh, wow. So she's expecting the, for a noise to come from, like, behind her. If she hears it coming from, like, in front of her in another direction, she, like, gets startled easily. Mm-hmm. Which I think is really interesting to think about mm-hmm. when I when I was reading up and everything. But, yeah, it's a, it's a terrifying movie. And, you know, when I when you watch it, obviously, it's, it's not totally dark, but it's very like there's dimly lit dimly lit rooms like harsh shadowings and some of like the crevices of like the hallways and doorways so there was one scene in particular when i was watching this and it's everybody has probably seen it but it's the scene where liv tyler is standing in i think it's like a kitchen or like a, a living room area and she's standing there and in the background, in the shadow of, like, one of the doorways, you can actually see, like, the mask of one of the yes. characters kind of, like, peek. Like, it's almost like walking through, like, a, a veil or a curtain. Yes. And then it, it's just standing me. there looking at her, and she has no idea that he's there. And it's like, <gasps> like, that is terrifying. Yeah. That like, is, I'm, yeah. Like, all she had to do was just turn and look, and, like, he'd be right I would have shit like, myself. Right. I would have shit myself. <laughs> oh, my God. My head is constantly on a swivel. I will know where anyone is in my house at all times, because right. I can't. I don't want to be startled. <laughs> right. I don't like it. So, do you want to go over, like, the tropes or the things that you want to look for, like, when you watch a psychological thriller? I mean, I know yeah. you covered some of them when we were going through your list, but... Yes. If you want to do a little bit more, like, deeper dive... Yeah. 
So, like, the first one is, like I said, that, like, what did I just watch after a movie? Not to the point where I'm, like, stumped at I'm more so out of, like, amazement yeah. of, like, what did I just watch? I don't want to be so confused that I'm, like, I literally have no idea what I just saw. Right. But it's so bizarre that... Yeah, that you're just, like, what was that? Like, right. that was, like, insane. Right. So, I, like those kind of things because i'm not like someone who's like super squeamish when it comes to like gory stuff or i'm not like oh i don't like that stuff i but i like when things are a little bit more complex sometimes like not too far out there and i think that was the thing with me with midsummer was the fact that it was like i think it was the fact that it was supposed to be marketed as like a horror movie yeah but you watch it and it doesn't really have like the only sense of horror you get from Midsummer is that scene where the two older people kill themselves and it's like well it's there's some scenes like well jump scary type scenes with yeah. the, her family yeah like she'll have like visions of like her sister and her parents yeah. and stuff and that's a little bit scary but yeah like that's just gory imaging that yeah. gives you like a sense of like shudder yeah. it's like oh like that's that's gross to watch but yeah. And I think all overall, it was the fact that I feel like Ari Aster to me can be a little bit pretentious when he makes his movies because he's like they are very, very <laughs> artsy. Yeah, because I yeah. think I think my problem was like the fact again it was supposed to be it was it's marketed as a horror movie, but then you watch it and you watch all of like the artsy imagery and the very complex dynamic with the with the cast and everything, and it's like. I feel like he was trying too hard to not be a typical horror movie that yeah. somewhere along the way it kind of loses sight of what what is this supposed to be. Yeah, it is very much more like a thriller or like a creepy than like horror movie. Right. Because when, when you talk to other people too and you add, like I even asked somebody once like, when you, okay, so I'm like you've seen Midsummer. I said, what did you, what kind of genre would you categorize it as? And they said like, oh, it's a psychological thriller. And I'm like, actually, if you Google Midsummer, it does say horror film. It, it it's categorized. And I'm like, I don't think that's correct. But. It it was categorized as a horror drama, and it's actually changed its genre titles a couple times. Because mm-hmm. first it was drama thriller, then mm-hmm. it became drama horror, now it's just thriller. Yeah. And I'm like, so which is it? So yeah. I'm like, it's it's hard to kind of like pinpoint what this movie is supposed to be. Because the plot and everything of it is so far out there mm-hmm. that it, it doesn't make sense as to what this movie is supposed to be. Yeah. I also get, too, that, like, a lot of people, like, Ari Aster has said in interviews that this was supposed to be, like, an homage to Wicker Man. Yeah, it and I'm very like, much was a, yeah. a, a Wicker Man, but, like, Wicker Man light. Yeah. You know, like, cu- Crystal Light, but, like, <laughs> Wicker Man light. Crystal Light. <laughs> Like Crystal Light, but it was Wicker, Wicker Man, Man Light. <laughs> and I like Wicker Man. Like I think the whole, the whole appeal to Wicker Man was the fact that you didn't even realize it was a call until like the last and like the last. Part oh yeah, of it. from the second they got to the yeah. the place in Midsummer was I was like, oh, this is a cult. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like when you said it's like a commune or a community, I was like, you mean a cult? <laughs> yeah, I'm like this is a cult. Yeah, like let's be clear. If you have like a like, if you go to a commune and there's a certain, like, dynamic or structure... And a dress code? Everyone's yeah. dressed a certain way? Yeah. 
or like if there's like a certain dynamic or code, like the way that the houses are all separated by age groups. Yeah. That is a cult. Very much. Everything is structured. Very much FLDS. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's structured. Then that's the thing about cults is that they're very structured in how they like Mm -hmm. lay out everything from their philosophy to their uh, group dynamics. Mm -hmm. Like even in some cults, like we'll talk about in the next episode, but Mm -hmm. there's like a a pyramid of people who at at some point in time like level up to like the next thing. But you don't want to... You don't right. want to level up in this one. Not in this. You don't Not want to level this. up in this cult because right. then you get yeeted off the side of a mountain. Right. <laughs> like, oh my god. Because once you get to that high level, like, once you get to a certain age group in yeah. this cult of Midsummer, you have to die. Yeah. Regardless of how you feel about yeah. it, once you hit a certain age, yeah. you're gone. Yeah. I'm like, oh no. <laughs> that, Which is why I'm that like. That was emotionally scarring. Right. <laughs> it's really, really much. I'm like, much. yo. That was an interesting one. I had a couple. So, like, cults was a trope for psychological yes. thrillers. And, I mean, like I said, Wicker Man, Midsummer, yeah. Midnight Mass, which is a psychological thriller show. But, yeah. It's I love Midnight Mass. Any, I feel like anything that has to do with a cult is kind of considered a psychological thriller to some extent. Yes. So, there's there was that one. And then I mentioned earlier about the lying, the gaslighting, and the toxic relationships. Yes. Have you seen the movie Men that also came out recently? No. It's very recently, like within the last month or so. It's oh, a, it's an A24 movie. It's very it's much like that new movie that Florence Pugh is in again that yeah. um, oh, that Harry Styles is in. I want to see that movie so bad. <laughs> I think it's called Everything's Fine, Darling? Or what is it called? But then there's that, and then we have Missing Persons, which I think we also have touched based on a little bit. But, like, whenever a person goes missing in a mysterious way or, like we mentioned earlier, like, inmate or prison breaks. And, you know, people start to speculate, oh, well, if this person went missing or if this person escaped from prison, then you can suspect that whatever's going on in the plot has something to do surrounding that missing person or that uh, prisoner that's escaped Mm -hmm. kind of scenario. Yeah. And then... That also coincides with, like, the fear, paranoia, and, like, cat and mouse chases. You know, I, mean, I, I feel like we see it a lot. Not just in psychological thrillers, but in horror movies, too. Yeah. What's up? It's called Don't Worry, Darling. Don't Worry, Darling. But it is it is very much like a, a gaslighty type situation where, like, she's starting to notice things are not fine. And it's like, oh, everything's fine. I feel like that's also similar to the movie Mother. Which I haven't seen, yeah. but I heard it's bizarre. It is very bizarre. That's yeah. the one with Jennifer Lawrence, yes. right? Yeah, it is. I've seen that one, and I was like, oh, I feel a, a different way now. Right? <laughs> like, I'm a little off-put by Jennifer Lawrence a little bit. It's very <laughs> scary. And then unreliable narrating was also a trope I found in some, like, articles and stuff. But, like, again, that's the whole point of psychological thrillers is when... The main point of view has a sense of reality that's obscured, whether it's by alcohol, drugs, or mental illness, or other things. Yeah. Yeah. And that was... I kind of have something along the lines of that. Like, what was it? Something that makes you question the world around you, or can make you uh, question, like, your stances or your your views on things. Right. They're, um... Which one to kind of... Like, like, with the movie Men, I haven't seen it, but I've heard a lot about it, and a lot of people got the sense that, like, when they watch the movie Men, 
the phrase not all men came to mind. Oh, yeah. Because that's kind of the, the direction in which it goes. Like, for instance, when we talked about Jordan Peele earlier, yeah. he has a lot of it's almost like satirical concepts of Black Lives Matter and mm-hmm. civil rights. Men has this satirical message that not all men, but yeah. we should be cautious of all yeah. men. Because yeah. you never know. It's taking who, the, you know, how society, how some people say not all men. Right. And saying, yeah, that's true. Not all men are like that. However... You never know which one, or it's like people who try to like, you know, downplay racism or social injustices or social inequality when it comes to race. Right. Um, and people go, oh well, it's not. They're going like, mm, no, it actually is. Yeah. So it's like it's so, it's so stupid. <laughs> it really is, and it's like especially with everything that's going on today, I feel like men came out probably at like just the right time to literally with everything that's like going on right now. I know. I'll have to give it a try. I got to look I've more into it. I've never seen it, but I, yeah, I have. To it see it just sure. came out fair, like very recently, so I have to check that out. Yeah. But yeah, another one I had written down that I thought was very interesting was when a protagonist gets framed for a crime they did not commit. Oh, and that yeah. reminded me of Gone Girl for some reason. Yes. Yeah. It's oh not my a- god. Yeah. That's a... Su- <laughs> we're just... Like, as we talk about these things, we're, we're connecting like, it to well, other movies. Yeah, I'm like, well, that's another movie on the list. Because I, I really did like Gone Girl. Yeah. That one was a really good... Yeah, I mean, and it, it happens a lot, especially like... Invisible Man. Yes, that too! Oh my god! <laughs> what the? F- and that's another movie that I have to do like a remake debate of. It's oh, not so good. Have you seen the original? I have. You like the remake better? People are gonna hate me, but I did like the remake better. That's fine. That I is love totally Elizabeth fine. Elizabeth Moss. Elizabeth She's Moss is a good actress. Incredible. Yeah, and that's fine because I love remakes too. Yeah. Some some remakes I prefer more than the original, but I do like the remake to Invisible Man. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. The the original is like really. I don't know. For me, there are some parts that are really funny. Yeah. But overall, I think it's like, it's an odd, almost sci-fi horror movie because it involves a scientist who used experimental drugs or chemicals to turn his body invisible. Yeah. And then commit crimes while doing this. Yeah. Whereas this was more of like a more modern telling of the story, only a lot more scarier in terms of the fact that this was a billionaire. Mm Mm-hmm. Who was a narcissist. Was a narcissist. And abusive. And abusive. And had developed this suit that would make him totally invisible. So that he could spy on his ex-girlfriend. Yeah. And And who knows, could have been could have been doing it before she even left. Right. And I feel like this this movie too shows most of the tropes that are listed on here. Yeah. So the lying and the gaslighting, the toxic relationships are all in there. The fear, the paranoia, the PTSD I even had listed down Mm -hmm. from her abusive relationship. This unreliable narrating where the audience, when they watch it, they, like, we know that she's telling the truth. But everybody around her is worried that she's She's, losing her mind and that she's unhinged. And she does get committed at one point into a psychiatric facility. Yeah. Which is very interesting. Yeah, I and think then that's it's, pretty cool. And then it's the the framed thing that you said earlier yeah. where so they think he's dead. Yeah. And then his you know, she thinks he's coming back. They're telling her no, 
no, he's dead. Right. And then it ends up being the brother. Right. They think. But the brother's framed because you know for sure that wasn't the brother in that suit talking to her. At the one point when they're in the parking lot and he says, like, I'm going to come after everyone. Like, I'm going to kill your friend and his daughter. I will come after your sister, everyone. You know it's her boyfriend. That's not the brother's voice. They they may have a similar build yeah. or whatever and look similar because they're brothers, but you could tell for sure that that. So he framed They could have also, well, not, not, not to interrupt you, yeah. but, like, they could have also used, like, voice-altering devices, too, to make it's, it sound similar. That's true. I'm Like in Scream, for instance. How, yeah, that's true. Right. However, mm-hmm. I am fairly certain that at the end... It's her, it, it's her boyfriend. It was her boyfriend. I because mean, it does... when she tried to set him up... Yeah. And he did the same old, well, I don't know what you're talking about. You're right. Crazy. The gas- and I'm like, yeah. bitch. The gaslighting. <laughs> and, I, and I love the fact that, like, she kills the brother, exposes yeah. the fact that he was the one doing it. They find her ex-boyfriend alive, hidden away, yeah. supposedly. Yeah. Only for that ending to unfold the way it did. It was like, oh my god, that's so good that was a good movie it was a good movie there was did you know there was supposed to be like a whole lot more dialogue there was a lot more that they wanted her to say like on script and she was like you know i could like just say that all with my face without having to say anything like there was supposed to like she was supposed to have a lot more of like a monologue like where she just starts talking right like of how like afraid she is and all this other stuff that's going on and she's like yeah no i don't I don't need to say all that. I right. can show all that. And I'm like, she does damn a good, right you can, girl. She does, a, she does a good job doing that, too. Yeah. Like, especially, like, the ending. I can't believe, again, can't believe I didn't think of that when right. we're talking psychological thrillers. I'm like, that one literally checks all the boxes. The boxes. Right? All of them. Right. Oh, my God. God. That movie was so good. It was so good. But how did you feel about today's episode so far? Good. Good. I, I don't know. I think it went well. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad to have you on the show because I've been wanting you on the show for such a long time. And I feel like when it, like, don't get me wrong, I love Colin. He's a fun host to talk to when we talk about, like, horror movies and stuff. But there are a lot of things I could talk about on the podcast with people other than Colin that I feel like we would have more conversations with. Mm-hmm. Whereas opposed to, like, Colin is very simple and straight to the point, whereas, like, I need to unpack everything. Yeah. And, I mean, this was fun. It's probably a good thing he isn't here then because we probably would have driven him crazy on the amount of times <laughs> that we started talking about other stuff. He would have been like, okay, can we get back on track? Yeah, he'll do that Sorry. with me sometimes. It, everybody who's listened to the podcast knows that if I ever get off tangent for, like, a, over a minute, he's like, can we get back to the conversation at hand, please? Like, it's mm-hmm. it's fine to have somebody like that to kind of rope you back in, but... For the most part, this he, was fun. He would that would be his job if he were here, right? Just we, reeling us both back in, like, come on, right? We have, we have a topic. <laughs> we have a topic to stay on, guys. Right? Like, sorry. But this was fun, and I I would love to do this more. If you ever want to come on the podcast, just let me know. I mean, that's up to you guys and up I, to your listeners. Because if they're like, "Yo, she sucks," I won't come back on here ever again. <laughs> When we have, like I said, when we have different people on the show and just talk and bounce ideas off of, mm-hmm. it's fun that way. Yeah. If this episode does well, yes. and the, the the quiz episode does well, if everyone is cool with me coming back on, <laughs> we could do like a game or something, or or like a like I'll come on like with you and Colin, we can do something. I don't know. Oh yeah, figure something out. 
Yeah. Because we, we've been trying to come up with or more do the remake. Do like a remake discussion. Ooh. To get you on the show for a remake debate would be amazing. Which one did you have in mind? Like, what was your favorite remake? Probably Invisible Man. Oh, that would be fun. Yeah. Because, I ha- again, I haven't done that one yet. And there's a bunch that I haven't done that I really want to check out, but... Do you guys have, like, something where people can, like, comment or whatever on? I mean, I always close the show every time, and I said, you can check us out on anywhere you get your podcasts. So we're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, we're on Google Podcasts, Breaker, I think even iHeartRadio. I did try to get our stuff on, like, Amazon Music, Mm. so I don't know if we're on that yet, but... That's another one to check out if we're on there. And you can follow us on Instagram, too, at okay. the Abby Normal Podcast Instagram page that I tried to work so hard on. Okay. Because um, if people comment on it that they actually enjoyed listening to me talk with you, then I'll come <laughs> back on. If they say, hey, she kind of sucks, we don't want her on here again, I won't. I won't. I'll be so, like, okay, I'm too sensitive, I'm never going to be on here again. <laughs> so we've done the remake debate for Halloween... A Nightmare on Elm Street, Frankenstein, Child's Play, Black Christmas, but we did the uh, 2001, not the 2021. Okay. We did Silent Night, Deadly Night, which is like a Christmas one. We did Suspiria, uh, Prom Night. You remember Prom Night? Yes. That was a lot. We, so we have done a remake debate of The Wolfman, which is another universal monster oh, movie. Oh, yeah. So we had Frankenstein the Wolfman. So we can do Invisible Man, because that's part of the universal, like, monster lineup. Like, there was a moment where we stopped doing them because we couldn't think of any others. Mm-hmm. And then the most recent one was Carrie. Yeah. But those are the only ones that we've done I'd so biased. far. I'd be biased. You'd be biased? I'd be biased. <laughs> I'd be like, mm. I love that girl. <laughs> so I did. I did say that both had like pretty good qualities, but I think overall the remake was a little bit more interesting. I think in yeah. terms of like how they narrated it, because yeah. the the original was taking place during like 1976. Okay. So if you like having my sister on the phone, please comment because it would be fun to have you on. Yeah. Is and to talk about true crime too, which oh we'll talk about in the next episode. Alrighty. Can literally talk forever about true crime and cults and stuff. Oh yeah. We I think we've said plenty about psychological thrillers this week. So as always, this has been the Abnormal Podcast. I am your host, Aaliyah. And I'm Emily. Signing off. Have a great week. And uh, I don't know, Colin usually like ends it off with something generic. Goodbye. Bye. As always, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. We are currently on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Amazon Music. Be sure to give us a like, subscribe, or a nice review for our podcast. It helps boost our show positively. You can also follow us on Instagram and now on TikTok.